0: Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Acts eleven twenty-seven through 30. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Well, church family, we've been going through a series through the book of Acts called To the Ends of the Earth. And uh, we've seen the gospel start to spread through this book, starting in Jerusalem, spreading through Judea, Samaria, and now we're seeing the gospel spread into the rest of the world, into Gentile territory. And uh, God's promise is that it would spread to all the ends of the earth, even places like Los Angeles. And so here we are today. Last week, uh, we saw how the gospel began to spread to a place called Antioch. And if uh, you remember, Antioch is an international city full of internationals, lots of people living there from all over. And one of the challenges with that is that they had continuous race riots breaking out. And so what they did is they built up these 30 foot walls, burrowing each people group in. Uh, they would go out. Uh, during the day from those boroughs to make their money, and then they would retreat at night. Uh, those race riots would break out um, because people didn't like each other. They didn't like each other's skin color. They didn't like each other's God. They didn't like each other's culture. And so that's why they built up those walls. Now, back in in Jerusalem, as persecution began uh, invading the church, uh, the church scattered. And so they left Jerusalem, and they went to places like Antioch, an international city, a city of opportunity. And when they go there, the gospel begins to take off. People come to believe in the good news of Jesus And people were coming out of the burrows and worshiping together. It was incredible. And so the risen Jesus uh, was at work there through his spirit in the hearts of people from all over the world, bringing about oneness, bringing about unity that to the rest of the world would make no sense, but it was something they were experiencing and it was very beautiful. And so uh, today, uh, our passage, we're still in Antioch. And what we see is uh, verse 27. Let me read it for you. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And so um, Jerusalem is where uh, the apostles are. And so it's kind of uh, the head of the church. And they're now sending prophets down. Uh, word gets back to them that exciting things are happening in Antioch. And so they send prophets. And the prophets are guys that are, are kind of preachers. They're, uh, they're speaking truth. They're teaching the Old Testament. They're connecting it to Jesus, how he fulfills all the Old Testament. Um, but there's one other thing that some of these prophets would do. Uh, sometimes they were speaking prophecies. They were foretelling what was to come in the future. And so we get introduced to a guy named uh, Agabus. One of them, one of those prophets named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. All right, so this guy, Agabus, is there doing his prophet thing, and uh, The Spirit of God tells him, there's going to be a famine. And so he lets everyone know. And the disciples, that is just the rank and file Christians, these followers of Jesus in Antioch, they come together and they decide, we're going to send relief money back to Judea, back to Jewish territory. Now, imagine this. Imagine taking up a a collection for a disaster that has not yet happened, and everyone participates in it, each one according to his ability. Those who have much, give much. Those who have a little, give a little. Everyone gives to the cause that hasn't even happened yet. Imagine I stand up here today and I say, "Okay, church family, there's going to be an earthquake in Brazil, and, and we need to send money there. Wait, there was an earthquake in Brazil? No, no, no. It hasn't happened yet. There's one coming, and so we need to take up a, a collection to help the church in Brazil, right? And all of you like, okay, we're all in. Every single person here gives. Those who have much, give much. Those who have a little, give a little. Wouldn't that be Miraculous. And then the earthquake comes, and it's there for them. Incredible. That's what happened in Antioch. So Barnabas and Saul, they take the offering back, and they go to Jerusalem. Now, when the Spirit of God is at work, this is what it looks like. Generosity ensues. And that has been the pattern that we've seen through Acts. Let's uh, look back and remind ourselves of of a couple spots. In Acts 2, 45, as uh, the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit is poured out and all these people come to faith, they hear the gospel in their own language, Acts 2, 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. When the Spirit comes over them, generosity ensues. We see it again in Acts 4. Uh, There, after Peter's uh, sermon, a whole bunch of more people come to faith. And what happens? There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. When the Spirit of God is at work, generosity follows. People feel this sense of mission. We have to get the good news out. And we have to care for one another just as God has cared for us. What the Spirit of God does is he moves us to be others-centered. You see, the spirit of man moves us to be self-centered. When we're self-centered, we're just focused on getting what we want, right? And so I'll give my time, I'll give my talent, I'll give my treasure as long as it serves me. Well, What I want to do today is I want to look and see how this plays out, this kind of self-centeredness, how it plays out in another story. So today is Palm Sunday, and so we're celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's Holy Week. It's the final week before he is crucified. He enters Jerusalem on Sunday, and he's crucified on Friday. Now, here's the story. Jesus enters into Jerusalem like a king the people lay down their cloaks along the road and they spread out palm branches and let's listen to what they call out. Matthew 21, 9. And the crowds that went before Jesus and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, let's talk about what that means. Um, The cloaks in the road is a recognition of royalty. Here comes royalty. Take your cloak off and and create a, a pathway for royalty. The palm branches were a symbol of victory for Jerusalem, for God's people. And so not only are we paving the way with cloaks, but this is a victory march. Put these palm branches down. Our king is a victorious king. He is coming into the city, and they call out Hosanna. Hosanna means, oh, save, right? So this this royalty coming in, in strength and victory to save us. They call him Son of David, which is a messianic title. It's a divine title. Jesus, you are the divine king who saves us. Blessed be your name, Hosanna, Hosanna, save in the highest. They say all this, and they are absolutely correct. Jesus is all those things, and he will do all those things. So why then would the crowds be yelling, crucify him, just days later? Here's the thing. Jesus was the king that they needed, but not the king that they wanted. Their generosity in this fanfare as Jesus is coming is rooted in getting what they wanted. Their worship was actually self-centered. They wanted a king who would free their nation from Rome. They wanted a political king, a national king, who would free them from political and national oppression. Now, Rome was harsh. And so they wanted a king who was going to come in power and in force. And here comes Jesus. He rolls in. What's the first thing that he does? In Matthew, we see the first thing that he does is he enters the temple. And he goes after the religious leaders. Wait, hold on. And he starts telling parables, stories. Come on. And then he starts talking about the destruction of the temple. He starts talking about the end of the age. They realize he's not coming with the sword. He's not going to deal with their immediate uh, problem, their immediate wants, He's not going to overthrow Rome. So you know what? Get rid of him. Kill him. Here's the problem. They did not understand their real need. Rome was a problem, yes, but not their biggest problem. What Jesus was coming to do was to free them from the oppression of sin and death, not just them, but the world. Jesus is Savior to all, not just one people group, not just one nation. Jesus is the king for every nation. Jesus is the king of every tribe, nation, tongue. Now, the Jewish perception was this. They thought that they were good with God, they had actually made their lives about being good people, right? We see that in, in our city all the time, right? What's going, I just want to be a good person, right? If I'm a good person, uh, God will love me. And so they made their lives about following rules, even adding extra w- rules and following those. Uh, but that rule following only deals with the external, Rule following does not deal with the heart. And you know what God wants? The heart. God wants the heart. Relationships are not measured in our ability to keep rules. If I think about uh, my relationship with my wife, and I just make it about following rules, right? Okay, I'll, I'll provide. I won't cheat on her. I'll take out the trash Wednesday nights, right? So if I do all those things, will that provide for a great relationship? My heart could be so far from her while doing all the externals, couldn't it? It's not about the externals. It's about the heart. Relationship is built on a warm heart toward another. And then the externals flow out of that. But if we start with the externals, we miss the heart. And that's what was happening with God's people. They thought by keeping the rules that God owed them. And that caused them to then look down on others who didn't keep the rules quite as well as they did. And they looked at nations around them with disgust. And hatred. And you know what that is? That is oppression. It's oppression in sin. And it's oppression in the death that that sin brings about. But Jesus came with good news. He came to free them from that oppression. And not only them, but everyone in the world. And we become free By trusting in Jesus' performance, by trusting in his life, his death, his resurrection, we become free when his life becomes our substitute. He lives the life we never could, and he dies the death that we deserve. And through faith in him, we then receive new life, new freedom that wants to share with others. We have good news that will transform our enemies into brothers and sisters. That's incredible. And so that should make us want to pass out Easter invitation cards, right? We've got good news. That should make us want to be generous and give to the mission of our church and see this good news go out. That good news should make us want to be others focused. We'll wanna see foster children cared for. We wanna see houses built in Mexico for homeless people. We wanna be in community groups and share our lives with one another. And this is what the Spirit of God does in our hearts through faith in Jesus. All right, let's go back to Antioch. So in Antioch, we've got all these different cultures, all these different races now experiencing the living Jesus, through faith, and it transformed them. The walls of division were broken down by worshiping the living Christ, who was crucified, who died, who was buried, and who rose from the grave on the third day. And through faith in him, they and we are raised to new life. And so by the Spirit of God, they are equipped to be generous to see the mission of Jesus accomplished, and to share and to care for his people. Every time the Spirit of God is at work, we see generosity. As people encounter the living Christ, it changes them. His generosity invades our hearts. His life of being others center, becomes our life. And this is not behavior change. This is not external. It's about heart transformation by the Holy Spirit. And so I think for, day, uh, for today, um, a good exercise is for us to uh, examine our behaviors and see Uh, how they connect with our hearts. Because we may even be generous, but that generosity uh, may be self-centered. It may be a means to power or to be needed. One way to see if uh, we're actually generous from the heart is if we're generous with everything. And so I want you to think about just your generosity Are you generous generous emotionally with others? Are you generous with your time, your talents? Are you generous with forgiveness? Are you generous relationally? Are you quick to look over wrongs of others? Or do you quickly write people off. That guy, can't believe what she did. Are we selfishly generous or are we radically, holistically generous? And so what are the areas of generosity uh, that you need to grow in? Before you go today, I'm going to ask you to do something risky I'm going to ask you, at some point before you leave, to share with someone how you would like to grow in generosity and think about all those different facets of generosity. Uh, That would be a great thing for you to come up for prayer for after the service. We're going to have a couple people up here praying, as we do every Sunday, but to come up and say, will you pray for me that I would be more generous in this area of my life? That'd be a wonderful way to take advantage of this prayer up here today. And that you would pray that the Spirit of God would transform your heart toward that kind of generosity. Not just behavior change, but heart change. All right, church family, it's Holy Week. And so I pray that we would draw near to Jesus in a very special way this last week of Lent as we fast this week, as we feel those hunger pangs, let it remind us of what we truly hunger for that we hunger for righteousness. We hunger for hearts of holistic generosity. We've been saved by the most generous God who gave that which was most precious to him, his only Son so that we could experience life and salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word today. We give you thanks for this miraculous demonstration of generosity amongst people who are so different from one another. Where there was such division, you brought unity. You brought Purpose and mission. You brought life, life everlasting. And so, Lord, uh, in Holy Week this week, I pray that we would be reminded that uh, sometimes we just seek the God we want instead of the God we need. Jerusalem wanted more religion, Rome wanted more power. We do not have a God on order. We have the God that we need. And so God, by your generosity, how you've modeled it in the life, death, and resurrection of your son, would you model it now in our hearts? Would you transform our hearts to reflect you, to be on your mission for your kingdom? We pray it in the name of Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.